Family, it's so good to be together. How's everyone? Happy New Year. Yes? Is it happy so far? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry that you're wearing masks. Some things are not changing as quickly as we would like. Um, some of my prayers are being answered. The Chiefs are in the playoffs. Some of them are not being answered. The Texans just couldn't get it done. Couldn't beat the Titans. So we lost the one seed. Okay, nobody's mourning that but me. There is a war for my heart, and the Chiefs are too <laughs> prominent in it. Um, I hope you had beautiful holidays. Um, I was really sad to miss being together at the Christmas gathering. I just, I love being with this family. I love what God is doing, and um, I'm happy to be here today. We, let's just open our hands as we start. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. I am powerless to bring anything good, but you are the revealer of God. Would you come reveal your favorite person, Holy Spirit? Reveal in revelation to our hearts and our spirits. I'm so thankful for who this family is and what you are doing. Would you come reveal yourself today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jewel, did you find the presentation? You did. Fantastic. We've had a little bit of technical difficulties. Also comes with having a building that is not our own, but we love it and we're thankful for it. Um, seeking the Lord for 2022, and I felt God's joy arising in my heart around the good news of the unchanging vision and beauty of the kingdom of God. It's not my vision. It's not Nava's vision. But we have a stunning and beautiful vision called the kingdom of God. And our team, as we sought the Lord, felt that all of 2022, during our monthly gatherings, was to unveil the incredible glory of our king and the ways of his kingdom. And so there's like a fire that's growing in my heart and a joy. I could hardly wait to come and be with you guys and share this. As usual, I have way too much, so I'm counting on the Holy Spirit's editing. I'm asking that he would share just what he wants for his people today, what's in his heart. But this vision of the kingdom of God is rising in my heart. It's not just my vision. It's the vision Jesus carried at the core of his being. It's the reason he came. It's the central theme through all of scripture. It's the most talked about subject Jesus had and probably the least understood in the church. Would you agree? The kingdom of God. I went around house to house all through the fall and I kept saying to everybody, Nava, doesn't have a vision. I don't have a vision. That's been stripped away. But I do believe Jesus has a vision. Jesus has a vision that cannot change and will not change. And in the last few years, there's been a huge toll to our hearts. So much change. I've seen tons of weariness and fatigue. And so much has been shaken. Can you testify? <laughs> I feel like I'm in the dust at some points. And in the worship, I was just saying, but this dust will rise and bless you, king. 
There's breath inside of this dust. I can feel the spirit rising in my heart with the good news of the kingdom of God. It is not hype. It is the only reality that we It is more real than anything else. Everything will be shaken, but my friends, the kingdom of God will remain. This is the hope and the good news for the earth. The reality is this, and I don't know if you've felt it. I know that I have in the last few years. There is a war for our hearts. There's a war for your soul. There's a war for your thoughts and your emotions and your choices. There's a war for your heart. But the good news is we are not alone in the war. We're not alone in the war. This message is called The Kingdom and the war for our hearts. It's my best attempt to open a subject that has been before creation ever existed. And we're going to patiently unfold it together over the months to come. And I'm really looking forward to that. The reality is there's a war for our hearts, but we're not alone in the war. Where better to go? Hi, Z. So good to see you. That is the cutest child on earth. Okay, all your other children. All the noise you want. I love you. Okay, so if we're going to go to the kingdom, I love going to the heart of Matthew's gospel. And at the center of his gospel, Jesus begins to unfold the parables of the kingdom, a mystery to those who are hearing them. It's the beginning of the third discourse of Matthew. And in Matthew 13, if you want to open up with me, we're going to be there all throughout the afternoon. It says, and I think we have the scripture up if you don't have your phone or Bible. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered. Can you see them? All about him. These are the crowds that he's been announcing the new reality of the kingdom too, but they've been so confused when he's been saying it. These are the crowds that he's been healing, that he's been celebrating, that he's been walking amongst. These are the crowds and they think a great one is there and they've gathered around, whether it was to be fed or touched or healed or encouraged. They knew there was someone there that had news that they needed and they had gathered at the sea. And Jesus, being clever, creates a natural amphitheater. As he sits on a boat, it says, he sits down as a teacher would. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Fisherman's boat, and he got out on the boat, and he asked the group to stand, and he went way, way out into the middle of that area. And as he sat down and spoke in a normal voice, N.T. Wright says the, the voice just carried across the waters, and he understood, oh, this is what Jesus did. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It says he told them, and I imagine him just speaking in a calm voice. Jesus is always more calm than me. He told them many parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on the rocky ground, 
where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. But other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is going to be the theme. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him perceive. And one of the gospel writers declares Jesus saying, if you don't understand this parable about the kingdom, how will you understand any parable? Some scholars have said it's the parable that is almost the mother of all the other parables or unfoldings of the kingdom, the fountainhead of beginning to understand the kingdom. But the disciples came to him and said, we don't really understand this. Why do you speak in parables? I mean, just come out and tell the people, we're here to kick the Romans' butts. We're here to rule. Just, just come out with your agenda and tell everybody who you are and let's do this thing. We don't understand why you speak in parables. Many people think parables were clever stories told to be relatable in the common day so people could get their hands around it. And it's true. They could understand the metaphors Jesus was saying, but they could not understand the meaning of these metaphors. It was exactly the opposite. Jesus didn't tell parables so everybody could understand, but so not understanding, their hearts would be sparked with hunger to pursue what is this strange teacher talking about? Do you want it? Do you want to know? So the disciples don't understand. And Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Oh my gosh, guys, I want this to be my life. Yeah? Nava, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to search out the secret of the kingdom of heaven? How beautiful. What an inspiring invitation from this rabbi in the first century. But then he turns in and he says, but to the crowds, it has not been given. You see, they have eyes to see, but they can't see. They have ears to hear, but they can't hear. Their hearts are dull. And then Jesus says about those crowds, and this is where it gets so fun, guys. I'm, I'm geeking out on this stuff. I hope you are. Just let me have a little bit of fun if you would. He goes, so in the crowds, what the prophet Isaiah said is being fulfilled in them. Wait a second. Jesus is about to jump 300 years back in time to 700 BC. And he opens up Isaiah and he says, now is happening what Isaiah said. So now we get to read the words of Isaiah. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but you'll never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. 
and their eyes they have closed, lest they should with their eyes and ears understand and their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Now, I got to give you the context of Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah sees the throne of God, the kingdom, right? He sees God reigning and ruling, and everything begins to shake. And he says, holy, holy is God. You are other. You are different. You are majestic. I don't even have clean words. I'm unclean. I'm undone. I'm ruined. And God, you're on a throne, and you're holy, and I'm sinful. And he's absolutely shaken by the vision, the secret of the kingdom. And then God comes and touches his coal, his lips with the coal, right? And he cries out. The angel cries out, whom will go for us? And Isaiah says, I will go. But what should I say? And Isaiah, God responds back to Isaiah, I want you to go and proclaim this. They have eyes to see, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. Their hearts are dull. You see, Isaiah would become the messenger of God's kingdom and salvation in the darkest hour of Israel's history when judgment was upon them. And Isaiah was sent with that salvation, and he was speaking that salvation but the people would not hear. It's though Jesus is inferring that the moment Isaiah prophesied is happening, but Israel once again is missing it. The kingdom is being proclaimed, but amidst the darkness of the hour, they cannot perceive the way that God is becoming king. They're missing. Okay, now, understanding the context of Jesus and what he's doing with the crowds, and at 700 BC with Isaiah, it requires going all the way back into the human story, the story of Israel, and the story of God and his kingdom. No problem, just a few thousand years, okay? (laughs) And eternity before. Jesus and his kingdom make no sense apart from the long story which preceded. So back to the garden we go. Can you strap on your seatbelt with me for a second? We've got to go through the God story. Now, for some of you, this is going to be review. For others of you, you may have never heard this. But to understand the moment Isaiah is dying into and the moment that Jesus is speaking into and is living into, we have to go all the way back through the story. Can we travel together? Holy Spirit, begin to give us revelation in the God story of the kingdom of heaven, okay? It starts with the creator God, the eternal Trinity family. Can you see that up there? God creates everything, everything, and it is good, and he rules over all with The eternal family always carries good intentions and acts for the flourishing of his creation. In the beginning, God, this glorious eternal family filled with sovereignty, wise in design, ruling over all, but his heart is good and loving. Every intention of his heart is good towards creation, and he humbly exercises his power for the flourishing of all things. He's a beautiful king, right? What a king. God creates, this is Adam and Eve, 
image bearers to be in intimate relationship with him and to rule with his delegated authority on earth. Crazy. Dust out of nothing. God, 18 inches from your face, breathes life into him. Electricity fills his body. He's alive, and not only is he loved, but he's in love with the beauty of the first one he ever saw. And God then commissions them to rule the earth with him. God takes his delegated, wise, loving authority and gives it to us. Doesn't he know us? What's the deal? Rule with me. As you love me and know me, rule with me. He puts two trees there. The tree of life represents humanity, humbly surrendered in trust to the rule of a wise and loving God. It is really life when you trust God and depend on God and his way to rule. They were learning to rule with God and bring order to chaos and create culture and flourishing for everyone and everything. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know this tree. It represents the independent, self-sufficient life where we decide we know the difference between good and evil. We can do it without you, God. Thank you very much. God says, don't eat of the independent tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you will surely die. Why? Because I'm life. And only in me do you have life. And apart from me and separated from me, there is no life. And then I have to introduce another character, the serpent, the devil, a fallen angel who deceives humanity to distrust and disobey their king. With a question, did God really say, you can't trust God, you can't trust that he has the best for you, that he loves you? You won't certainly die. God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Hey, do your own thing. Freedom is doing what you want, right? Do it your way. Nothing bad will happen. Go ahead. God's keeping something from you anyways. Therein begins a long story, a painful story. Now, three things about the evil one that we get through the scripture. Number one, he is real, invisible, and an intelligent being who desires to be worshipped instead of God. Number two, he aims to damage and ultimately destroy human souls and relationships and ultimately society through separating us from God. Three, his primary tactic is deception and temptation. I really want you to not be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. There is a war. There is a real enemy, according to Jesus. He's invisible. He's intelligent. He aims to ruin your soul and society, and his means are lying to you disordering your desires, distorting your identity, getting you separated from God and doing it way. He tempts you. This is, this is what he does. The fall. Humanity believes the lie, disobeys their king, and makes a decision to put themselves on the throne as God enslaving them to fear and shame and sin and the power of the enemy. Did you hear that? Enslaving them. What they thought would become their freedom became their fetters. What they thought would be doing it their own way became the embondagement 
to fear and shame and a feeling of worthlessness, feeling what they did not want to feel, embodying everything that God did not want for them. It resulted in a dislocation and distance from God, the distortion of their identity, disordered desires, damage in their relationships, the loss, listen to this, the loss of their delegated authority was handed over to what's called the enemy, the prince of the power of the air. What was meant to be theirs to rule got handed over to a deceiver. This is tragic. This is where the war begins. Eventually, the earth, creation, their spirit bodies, all would experience death, just as God said. Now, the war. God curses the serpent and declares a war between humanity and their enemy. A costly war starting in the Garden of Eden and being waged in the garden of every human heart. God declares a war between humanity and the enemy. A downward spiral of sin multiplying from the core of one human heart begins to fill families. And then families, the sin begins to fill communities. And from communities, it begins to fill entire people groups. And it travels down in this downward spiral through generations. It embeds itself in systems, and it's normalized in society. And it often crescendos into powerful, oppressive regimes called empires. This is the war. Following so far, how are we doing? God has a patient and costly plan. Along with the curse and declaration of war comes the stunning promise of a human seed that will crush the head of the enemy. Do you hear the hope in the middle of the war? There will be a seed who will come and crush the head of the enemy, who has usurped the authority of humanity delegated by God and has diminished them and destroyed them in death. There's a war, but there's a promise. Many years later, God would call and form a people, starting with Abraham and Sarah, who would know him and love him and represent him and obey him from a heart of faith. And God gives them a promise of a son, Listen, their seed. He would bless all nations through them. All the families on earth would be restored through the one seed that would be given to them. How will we have a nation if we can't even have a son? Well, God is amazing and miraculous. The king has a dream and a plan, and he births it in broken hearts who have nothing to offer but openness. The seed... Small and ordinary will fill the whole entire earth. Are you catching this? Jesus is doing something. I'm still in the conversation with the disciples. I'm unfolding the journey to Israel and Isaiah. He gives them a promised son. Their seed would bless all nations. A long history of covenants to restore the broken relationship with humanity. Their place and ruling as image bearers all of which tragically failed and were broken by Israel. They mistrust their king. 
They worship other lovers and chase idols of wood, stone, and statue. They give themselves away and break the covenant over and over and over, and they break the heart of their God, and it results in the loss of all their covenants and promises and total exile. Now let's go back to Isaiah. Now we're understanding the shaking of the throne. God's over the nations. The darkest hour, everything looks dead. God looks dead. Has anyone else felt like this in 2020 and 2021? Like, is there any hope left? I'm not sure the church can do it. I'm not sure anything can do it. There's a stream of bad news, constant change, total fatigue. It looks like exile, and yet there's a seed. Now wait, Jesus didn't finish the next verse in Isaiah. After 9 and 10, we're going to go to Isaiah 6, 13. It says that Israel will be judged, but the metaphor is like a tree, a tree that needs to be judged. Now watch this, like an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. This is Isaiah 6, 13. The holy seed is in the stump. Okay, no one's as excited as me. <laughs> Jesus is a flipping genius. I mean, are you following this? He's about to tell them about a seed. They can't receive the crowd's they have eyes, but they're not seeing. They have ears, but they're not hearing. Their hearts are dead and dull and dry and broken. The world looks too dark. And Jesus has a message. And he brings them back to Isaiah. And he says, the tree's been cut down. It's just a stump. Does anyone else feel like a stump right now? I am like stumpy faith man. Like, I don't know if this thing is good. And Jesus goes, Stop looking at the stump. I know it's been shaken. I know it's been removed. Wait, look inside the stump. There's a seed in the stump. Do you get this? The holy seed is now in human flesh. And he's speaking to the disciples. And he's going, I'm the seed. I'm here. I'm the embodiment of the kingdom. I'm the reign and rule of God. I'm everything you ever desired. This seed is here now with you. This is what it looks like. The human seed promised from the garden to crush the head of the enemy and win the war in the human heart. Wait from a garden, and now he's talking about seeds in a garden. There's a battle for the garden of the hearts of humanity. Do we trust him? Now, this parable of the four soils and the sower unfolds the gospel of the kingdom, but we need a definition. Let's try to get a working definition for the kingdom of God because we're going to be unfolding this from every imaginable angle through the Gospels and the New Testament writers for the whole year. And so let's really grab this definition. This is just, I know, I'm too excited. I'm fired up about this. Simply put, the gospel of the kingdom of God is the good news of God's reign and rule. God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. The good news of God's reign and rule 
Who's in charge? God is in charge. What would it look like, essentially, for the earth and all of its people to be under the wise and loving rule of the king? This is the kingdom of God. Now, it's a long story, but now the seed has come in person. The human is a holy seed. The holy seed is in human flesh, a single cell and a teenage woman. Jesus is born to be a king, but he's not what anyone expected. And Matthew 1 through 4, he's 30 years hidden in nowhere Nazareth. This is not what we expected. In chapter 5 through 7, he's announcing a kingdom, but he's rejecting the religious rulers, and he's defying the pagan powers, and he's talking about a kingdom that no one saw coming in a way that no one expected. But not only is he all lip service, in 8 through 12, he begins to demonstrate the kingdom everywhere he goes. It says he's anointed to destroy the works of the devil. He refutes the enemy again in a desert. He begins to forgive sin, rescue from oppression, set humanity free from the tyranny of the enemy. He brings life wherever there's death. He's bringing about, watch this, a whole new creation. The kingdom, follow me, everyone say, the kingdom is, is a new creation. The kingdom is a new creation. It's not an ethereal, just invisible thing. We're talking about a seed in soil bringing life and flourishing and moving through every dead, decaying thing until it is renewed and restored and looks just like God in heaven. It's so good. This is the good news. And it is now, but it's not yet. It is present, but it's not perfected. Jesus will get to that in other parables. We can't talk about that quite yet. But just to blow the plot, he's coming again to make a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no more crying or pain or sickness or sorrow. Oh, my goodness, people still suffer and they Now, we will never see its fulfillment, but oh, my gosh, he's coming in the clouds. I'm waiting. Wait with expectation. This seed is in human flesh. Do you feel the good news rising in you? I mean, 2020 really sucked. 2021, I mean, I, my heart has been broken more times than I could describe. I just read 600 pages of my journals from 2020. Bad, I was a lot worse when I read it every day. I'm dragging myself into the presence of God. I'm mourning loss after loss after loss. But you know what? God started preaching the gospel of the kingdom to my heart again. There's a seed in the stump. I don't know, though. You see, Jesus, he knows the people. Now, we're back in the conversation. He looks at them. Now, check this out. Go back to Matthew 13. This is awesome. 16 and 17. He looks at his disciples and he goes, but blessed eyes. Oh, this is crazy. For they see. And blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it, and hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. But the kingdom is here. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you perceive it? The kingdom of God is good news. He's looking at his guys. He's going, don't you understand? 
The desire of every nation is here. The joy of every longing heart is fulfilled. Here's the good news of the kingdom. You ready for it? The good news of the kingdom says everything we were powerless to conquer, he came to defeat. And everything we desired and longed for, he came to complete. Everything we were powerless to conquer inside and out, he came to defeat. And everything you were created and longed for to be satisfied with, he came to complete. This is good news, my family. This is the good news that we carry not only in us, but to sow through us the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is here. He's come to win the war for every human heart, and we were powerless to win it. But here's the catch. The crowds and me and you could miss the whole thing because it's nothing like we thought it would be. You could have eyes but not see the kingdom. Right now in your life, you could have ears, but you can't hear the hope that God is speaking to you. Your heart can be so weighed down that it can't even receive hope anymore. And I resonate with that. Now we got to read because Jesus is so kind He's about to explain the parable. Most of them he doesn't. We're all left for all ages to go, what the heck were you talking about? Holy Spirit, help, Holy Spirit, help. But this one, the king, he, it's so important. He goes, I want you to understand the battle from the garden for the garden of every heart. I need you to catch this because this is the birthplace of all the other parables. Okay, this is so crazy. So Jesus is about to explain it. And listen to the first word he says. So hear the parable. See how he completes Isaiah, the message from Isaiah? So hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in themselves, but endures for a while, and when pressure or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. This one indeed bears and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirtyfold fruit. The sower is good and loving and has all power in the cosmos. The seed is good and has the potential to bring every dead thing back to life. The seed is good and carries not only hope for this life, but hope forever. The seed is good and has the potential to bring forth every dream and desire of God through a human being as God desires into the world in a multiplying miracle of life. But the question is always the soil. A seed has everything that's needed for generations of life and flourishing, 
But without the right environment is no good at all. And God, listen to this, in his humility has constrained his own being. Remember, he's the seed of the reign and rule of God. He himself will prove unfruitful unless you will voluntarily open your heart. He has all power, but he restrains himself to your willing, open heart. The question is, Always the soil, never the seed. So, what's going on with these four seeds? We are about to see the cosmic battle, which went all the way back. Man wants to be on the throne of their own life. The enemy keeps feeding them that lie and temptation. Yes, do it yourself. Go your own way. Satisfy yourself. Gratify yourself. Preserve yourself. Take care of yourself. Put yourself first. Protect yourself, right? And God's going, no, I want your heart. Surrender to me. I've got your flourishing. I can conquer your enemies. And the question is always, what will we do with our heart? There's four soils. We're going to walk through these. They're so beautiful. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as I open these soils, if it's one of us in our heart, that immediately a repentance would begin to happen. That is not a shame word. That is your liberation. To align yourself to the way God's flourishing and kingdom comes into the world. To turn from your way of good and blessing and the good life to turn to God's way of the good life. That's what repentance. And so as we read through this, I pray the spirit would begin to lead us. We'll start with the road. When anyone hears the word, the kingdom, but doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. The road represents when we don't recognize the kingdom. We can't see it. We can't hear it. Our hearts can't receive it. They're hardened off. Either we just miss it because it came in a way that we didn't understand it. God was speaking to you or meeting you and you couldn't understand what he was saying. You were looking for him in one way to satisfy your life and he came in another and you missed it or you gave him a hard no. You said, yes, you can have this part, but not this part. I resist your way of flourishing in this area of my life. The road is when we miss God and his invitation to reign in us. Probably if you're here, this isn't you. But I've had many situations in my life where I was surrendered to God, but not that thing. Not that area. It's just a hard no right there. And God's like, oh. I got your best right there. Here's my way. I know it, it looks like death to yourself a little bit first, but, but I got a way for you to flourish if you'll trust me. Or no, God, no. Sometimes we don't recognize it, but sometimes we fully resist his reign in an area of our life. If there's a place in your heart right now where Jesus is kind of tapping on the door, going, let my way win in you. You can trust me, but you're just to know. I want to I pray for the encouragement to relax your hands and maybe trust him to reign there in that place.
that he's got something good for you. What happens in the not recognizing and in the resisting is that deceiver comes and steals the seed immediately because there's no place of reception for his word in your heart. I don't know if that's you, but I trust the Lord. The second soil is the rocky soil, and this one starts to get a little closer to home for me at least, maybe for many who are believers. It says they did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 20 and 21 says there was no root in them. They endured for a little while, but when pressure or persecution came on account of the word, immediately they fell away or gave up. No depth of soil, no root. God is saying something to you, and you're enthusiastic about it. You're excited about it in an area of your life. But you're not able to endure when some form of pressure comes around that word. I don't know about you, but all the change and all the loss has made me feel a little sun-scorched, like a little beat up. The pressure is getting to me, and in many days, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to lose my heart, God. And I keep hearing him say, don't lose your heart. Don't lose your hope. Walk. Now, this could be in any area. If you're single, it could be God talking to you about your desire for companionship. But when pressure comes around that, you just decide, I don't want to go that way. You're excited at first when he speaks to you, but the pressure comes and you just move the other way. Could be a place in your parenting where God is speaking about his kingdom and your patience with your children. But when attitudes flare, you're excited in the quiet time. I'm kind of preaching to myself right now. You're excited in the quiet time. It's like, oh, create a safe place for the heart. And then you find yourself under the pressure of attitudes in a conflict where you're not going the way of the king anymore. You've just taken things into your own hands, and it's out of control quickly. In other words, patience isn't endured in. It's exciting when God says it, but I don't keep practicing it to create a new flourishing in my parenting. This could be in so many different areas of your life. Maybe it's at work. God's speaking to you about honoring your boss, but your boss is a jerk. And so it's awesome. Oh, God, I see your way. Honor them. And then I go in, and the pressure begins to happen. And instead of persevering in the way of serving and honoring, I absolutely abort kingdom mission, and I go to Project Self, and I take it in my own hands, and I control. Or it's your nasty coworker, right? To just continually having strife with over and over around all these projects. And God's trying to teach you, Keep forgiving. This is the way of my kingdom. Go low, go slow, humble yourself, and then you just posture again. Posture it again, and you lost the plot, and you refused. It was so exciting, but now it's not bearing fruit. The word of the king in an area of your life needs time and space and endurance under pressure to produce. And so the prayer is, Lord, remove the rocks inside the soil of my quick relinquishment where I give up and lose heart. Now, friends, if life has collided on you with circumstances, I have so much 
grace for you. When the fight feels too much and we want to lose heart and the pressure is overwhelming and the hangover of the last two years has got you so stinking fatigue that you feel like you can't take another thing, you can't have another change, you can't have another loss or rejection or disappointment, you don't see hope, you want to lose heart, you want to give up. The reality is we all fall and we all fail and there's a king with mercy going, I want to win the war in your weary heart. We can do it. I know you feel sun-scorched and like a stump, but there's hope in this. I am king and have the power to win over things you're powerless over. I have the power and I have the patience and I have the faith and I have the love and I have the trust and I can feel the seed of the kingdom coming in and uprooting those rocky places. Will you let the spirit come to your weary, rocky heart. Now the third soil is the most familiar to me, the thorny soil. Essentially, there is no room for God as king. Matthew 13, he hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Luke 8, 14 adds to that. Luke says it's choked by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. The cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. Now, this is some sneaky stuff. At face value, it all seems pretty innocent. I mean, the cares of the world, I mean, I like modern life, to be quite honest. Just enjoy technology and things like that. Money, I think we all need it. Last time I checked, like, it's helpful. Is anyone, can I get an amen on that? And um, the pleasures of life, I mean, is God a cosmic killjoy or what's happening here? I don't, I don't understand. He doesn't want me to have these things. Well, like the Garden of Eden, the enemy comes and sows these deceptive temptations to pursue the good life apart from God. This is essentially at the heart of idolatry. Idolatry is taking a good thing and turning it into God. It's taking a good thing that in its right place is just fine, but all of a sudden is the thing which is satisfying me before God. This is at the heart of idolatry. I like what Tim Keller says in Counterfeit Gods. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. It's something that takes your time, your attention, your affection, your energy, and ultimately your identity. It's what defines you, it could consume you, it comforts you, it helps to lead you. These are the things that are called disordered loves. That's what the flesh is. It's your drives to have self at the center, to be self-satisfied or self-preserved or self-protected. This is what the enemy plays to with deception. Hey, just put yourself first. He lures us towards good things. But idols always fail because they were not meant to be God. <laughs> they can't hold your affection. They can't sustain your worship, so they end up turning on you and consuming you. Good things out of place become your gods, and they devour you. Jonah 2.8 says this, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That is crazy. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. 
St. Augustine said, he calls these things disordered love or unreliable righteousness. Jesus calls them thorns. They may look fine, but when you embrace them, they cut you. I remember a time as a kid, I was in the woods and I got for real stuck in thorn bushes. I mean, totally hemmed in on every side. And what do you think you try to do when you're stuck in thorns? Thrash, get out. But the more you do, the more pain you inflict on yourself. Can you see the cares of the world starting to press in on the life of God? What has your attention has your affection. These don't seem like big things, but what has your affection becomes your formation or your deformation. And so all of a sudden, these things satisfying your heart, they're like thorns, and you need somebody else to come and begin to remove the things which are suffocating and choking out the life of God in your heart, things which have captured your time and your attention and your heart and its affection, these become the things that you look like and become. What you behold, you become. So while they're innocent, at first, when put above God, they become deadly. I mean, I'm talking about stuff like my portal to a choked out soul. Digital distraction all the time. I mean, I do my best. Notification silent at this time. You know, only 15 minutes on Instagram. And just now I'm Christmas shopping. I'm 35 minutes. I've blown by multiple settings on Instagram. Wait a second. They're marketing shoes to me. Now I'm on Amazon. I'm shopping shoes. Not one kind of shoe. Now I'm just locked up in a spin cycle of Amazon and I'm the product. Or what about ESPN? I mean, those notifications need my attention after all. I need to watch 35 mic'd up videos on the Chiefs. I told you there's a war for my soul. I mean, I could go on, right? I mean, this is the stuff that we deal with. I'm talking about Netflix. You know, they recently put the watch next episode to five seconds, but man, I just can't seem to press the button in those five seconds. And so the next one comes on. Man, but that next five seconds is just so fast. I can't get my finger to the button. And just now I've watched four hours of a worthless show. Now in itself, man, some of those are all right. But what has my time and my attention is what I become. The cares of the world... You guys are like, okay, well, it's my phone. I mean, I actually think the phone could be one of the deadliest things to our soul, period. But let's go a little deeper. God's been going into the cares of the world. What about success? That I want to be successful and significant, and I never feel okay unless I am. That one's been coming to death in me for the last two years. We could go on, right? I mean, thing after thing, seeks to choke out our soul. Security, am I trusting God or something else? Possessions, is there anything I wouldn't give up for God? What about my sexuality? It's a beautiful gift, but when it's disordered and God's not fulfilling me first, all of a sudden it's choking out the life of the kingdom in my soul. It's a gift, it's a good thing, 
But when it's made God, it eats me alive. What about my image and how people perceive me? Or my family, that's a beautiful thing. But what if I haven't surrendered them to Jesus and fear clouds my discernment? Or what about work? What if works become my identity instead of a gift to honor God? Or I mean, what do I run to when I'm sad and anxious? I'm a sensory escapist. How about you? What's your addiction of choice? These are the things that choke out our soul, right? Or entertainment, or your political party. Okay, we'll go there another time. National identity. And Jesus says to all these things, don't you understand? If you'll wait with me and seek me, I've got words of my reign and rule. I want to sow my own transcendent and beautiful being into the soil of your heart. And I want to grow up in all of your life in every single area. And I want to bust out with flourishing. Will you let me be the king of your heart? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, and then all those other good things will find their right space and be given to you. Jesus says, what does it profit a person to gain the entire world and lose their soul. There is a war for your heart, and the enemy plays to disordered desires, which are normalized in a sinful society. I'm borrowing from John Mark Comer and Live No Lies. Please read that book. It's incredible. And they're normalized in a sinful society which says, it's okay to live like that. And you go, I feel a lot better because that's what I'm giving my attention to. Seems normal, right? And all of a sudden, the life of God is choked out inside your soul. First Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. But you can't win the war. No matter how hard you try to get out of those thorns that are choking you up, it'll just do more damage. Will you let the king come to the places of your powerlessness and little by little with surgical precision shepherd your heart into healing and wholeness? You can't win the war against the thorns, friends. You can't win the war against the rocks inside of you where you're beat up and you give up. You can't win the war against even the hard no of your resistant heart to an area where Jesus is trying to win and give you the best. But there's one who is with you. He came to win the war. And then he looks and he says, there is this fourth soil, good soil. As for what is sown in the good soil, Matthew 13, 23, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. They indeed bear fruit and yield, in one case 100, another 60, another 30. In contrast to the road, this soil is soft and and receptive. In contrast to the road, this soil is soft and receptive. And unlike the rocky soil, this heart, though it's weak, doesn't give up because it leans into God's help. Do you know how to not lose your heart? You give it to God every day, even though it's beat up, and he will take care of it. This soil is surrendered to the Spirit, who is clearing it from suffocating snares and cares of the world. 
a heart ready to receive the seed and patiently let it grow. Luke writes in his gospel about this soil. It is a noble and good heart who hears the word, retains it, and listen to this. By patient endurance produces a crop. A good and noble heart is simply a heart which continually surrenders itself in humility back to the king. It's not you being a religious person. It's not you being good or wonderful or mighty or righteous on your own. A good and noble heart is a rich heart that is broken with the love of God and receptive and ready to surrender and receive the seed of Jesus over and over and over again. But here's the key. It can't just be a quick receiving of the word. The difference between the good soil other than its surrender and softness, is its perseverance or patient endurance in the thing God has said. This is a beautiful, long, slow process. Who loves those? A beautiful, long, slow, deep work of God with lots of daily dying to the flesh to the desire for self. It is a long journey where we persist in believing Jesus' way and Jesus' will in our heart will produce the greatest and best life, and we will not choose any lesser lover, for he alone is the king of our heart. Letting the Spirit tend the soil of your life, hearing the word This is why we read the Bible every day. We're not just talking about being good Christians. We're talking about how much time is the bad news coming through your AP News app or whatever news source you use. How much time is the attention of your heart coming from some other source or allurement rather than the good news of the kingdom of God in your life? You have got to sow and sow and sow the potential the life-giving, resurrecting kingdom of heaven, word of God inside of you and let the spirit tend it in your actual real life where it's lived out. And the more time and attention and affection you give to him, you will see flourishing. That's what he says. It's not be a good Christian, do more. It's, oh, let him in. Let the king of your heart come into the soil We talk about this a lot through a rule of life, and you will hear us unfold this. A rule of life is about four main areas of formation, prayer, relationships, work mission, and rest health. It's about a slow, intentional, spirit-led plan and spiritual practices. It's a way of ordering our everyday lives and schedules around the person, priorities, and practices of Jesus. A rule of life is when we ask Holy Spirit, hey, What do you want me to do with rest and health? I don't want to get rest and health my own way. I want to do whatever you're saying to me. Maybe it's you're not taking a day off or whatever. Hey, what what do you want me to do in the area of abiding prayer? Do you want me to spend a few minutes in the morning? Or do you want me to pause in the day? Do you want me to take a prayer retreat? What would the Spirit say to you about your work and your relationships? You see... 
Either Jesus in his love and wisdom is ruling over your life or life in its chaos is ruling over you. There's no middle ground. And a rule of life is an intentional, all of life process with the Holy Spirit where we patiently endure and work out the kingdom of God in our every single area of life, not just the spiritual parts, until he is the king of all of our lives, right? That's what a rule of life is. Now let's imagine our hearts as good soil and the kingdom seed growing and multiplying. Can you do that? Will you close your eyes with me? I want us to imagine. Remember, Jesus has said, the war for your heart isn't just about you. The war for your heart is about every single family on the face of the earth. The war for your heart is about a harvest. But unless the seed can grow in your heart, it has no place to multiply through the world. So let's imagine what would it look like if Jesus was the king of every meditation of your mind, of every motivation of your heart, of every moment of your day? What would it look like if Jesus was the king of every moment of your day? every response in your relationships, every decision and choice. If Jesus was king of your work day and your off day, of your eating and your entertaining and your money and your sexuality, all of your being, what if Jesus was king of all of your being? Are you seeing your life? Now, guess what? It's never gonna be perfect till he returns, but I want you to imagine your life like this more now than not yet. It's not about perfection. It's about a work of his grace in your life. Now let's take it a step further. What would it look like if Jesus was king of your household? King of your relationship with your roommates? Oh man, it'd be a happier house, right? Not fighting over the fridge or food or laundry or who did the dishes. What if he was king of your marriage, of your children, of your family and your extended family? What would it look like if Jesus was king of your grumpy neighbors? What would it look like if he was the king of your apartment complex, of each and every person in each and every household? What would it look like if Jesus was king of all 21,000 neighborhoods in Kansas City, or the various places of employment and industry and education and the happenings of tomorrow and the next day and the next day? What if Jesus was king of all those who are in power and authority in this city and all leaders and beyond? What if Jesus was the king of government, bringing righteousness and justice? What if Jesus was the king of every county in our state and state in our nation and person in the United States? What if Jesus was the king of every nation on earth, each and every continent, every island in the farthest distant languages and cultures of the earth? What would it look like if Jesus was the king? God would reign and the earth would rejoice. Every single person would flourish. Bodies would be whole. Souls would be free. Wrongs would be set right. Oppressed would be rescued. Marriages restored. Poverty alleviated. Lonely would belong. Outcasts would be celebrated. There would be no more tears or pain or suffering or death. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit would flourish from the core of every human being to the extent and outreaches of all of creation. This is what it would look like if Jesus was king. Now, 
he's saying, if I can be king of your heart, I can grow something up that has the potential to multiply and reproduce worlds. But the question is, will we trust him to rule in our hearts? The seed has all the potential in the world, but it needs a home in you without resistance. And quite honestly, it's just not as easy to trust God in things that hurt deeply. We can all stand here and be like, I've got faith. Yes, Jesus rule in me. But when it comes down to it, is the soil of my heart receptive to anything you say? Jesus is Lord, is the gospel of the kingdom. So is Jesus Lord of every part of your being? And if not, that's perfectly okay because probably by the end of our life, that won't be true of any of us fully. But what if it was one more step today than yesterday? What if we could open our wounded hearts a little more? The question is, can we trust this king? The gospel of the kingdom is fully embodied in Jesus. He's a king born in a barn with no prestige or power. This king can be trusted to rule. He's a king who spent 30 years living an ordinary life in obscurity, working a blue-collar job who waited patiently on God. This king can be trusted to rule. He's a king who did what he only saw his father doing. He never did it himself. Utterly and fully surrendered. This king can be trusted to rule in your heart. He's a king who's compassionate, not coercive. He feels your pain with you and it twists his guts. This king can be trusted to rule in you. He chose a rough crew rather than... He's a king who sat with people rather than stood over them. He defended the weak rather than trampling on them. He saw and welcomed the outcast rather than shun them. He's humble, not haughty. He's invitational, not manipulative. He can be trusted to rule. He healed rather than hurting. He celebrated rather than condemning. He liberates rather than dominates. He serves rather than lording it over. He is power under society, not power. And reverses the curse of history. And he says, not my will, but yours be done, God. This king can be trusted to rule. He made good on his prayer and he drank the cup of our rejection. He suffered and was suffocated on a cross in our place. He bears our sin and our shame. Listen, guys, this is good news. You can't beat the enemies of sin and shame. Only God in the flesh could bear it for you. This king can be trusted. He died the death we all deserved. His body was resurrected. He's the hope of a whole new creation. He rose with the keys of sin and death and defeated our enemies for us. The kingdom is here. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it? The kingdom is the good news that everything that you're powerless to defeat inside and out, he came to defeat. 
And everything you long for, he came to complete. There is good news for you and your neighbors and your children and everyone else. And it is the King Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus has come to win the war for the human heart that we're all powerless to win. Jesus said, they had eyes, but they could not see. They heard, but never understood. Their hearts were dull. And if they would have turned, I would have healed them. But blessed are your eyes and blessed are your ears. This is the way that I want to finish. I would love for us to open ourselves up to the king. He can be trusted with your attention and your affection and your heart. Could touch our eyes, and I want to pray over our eyes, just like we do with the kids. Open the eyes of my heart, Jesus. Where I am missing what you're doing in my life, I ask for revelation. Just begin to pray. I want to see you, Jesus. I want the secrets of your kingdom and how they're coming in my heart and in my life and in my world. Forgive me for every place that I've resisted you. Oh, I turn my heart to you today. Give me eyes to see Jesus. Help me recognize the king and the kingdom. I'm just going to wait for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you show how your kingdom is coming? Open the eyes of your heart to their heart. What do you want to do in your sons and daughters, your new creation saints? I want to see you, Jesus. Let's put our hands on our ears. Open my ears to hear the Holy Spirit. Where I'm not understanding your way or your word in my life, I want to hear the word of God. I believe your way is better than any other way. If there's any way that I've turned my ear off to you, I want to hear and obey and walk in your word. Open my ears to the Holy Spirit. Come tend the garden of my heart, Spirit. I welcome you. I just want to leave just 30 seconds. Is there anything you want to say intimately to your sons and daughters of the kingdom? I bless your ears to hear the king. The dreams of God coming through the soil of your heart. Where you've been shut down in hopelessness and defeated. I bless the good news. Listen, good news of a God who can conquer where you're powerless. Who can defeat what you can't defeat. Who can fulfill the longings and dreams of your heart. I bless you to hear good news from the spirit of God.
Now let's stand together because the Bible says, let's stand and resist the enemy. If we can raise our hands and to surrender to God, this is how we defeat the enemy. Let's say together, I am God's beloved. He loves me. He's given his life for me. I'm a new creation. I resist the deceiver, his lies and temptations to the good life without God. I surrender to God and his vision of flourishing. I resist you, enemy, in Jesus' name. I do. I am not my performance. I am the beloved of God, a son or daughter of the kingdom. I reign and rule. I'm seated in heavenly places, far above power and principality. I take back the ground of my heart. I take back the ground of my family. I take back the ground of my neighborhood and the city for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the beloved. I am yours and you are mine. Now put our hands on our heart. In 2022, there is a war for the garden of your heart, and you cannot win that war. We invite you now, God, to blocks of resistance that are fatigued and burnt out. We invite you to come untangle us from all the worries of this life, the cares and the riches and the pleasures which are choking out what you want to do. Really invite them. Like, come untangle my torn heart. Come untangle and heal every place that the life of God is choked out. This is the domain of God. Jesus didn't come to rule with an army. He came to conquer every voice of diminishment that came into the human heart. He has come to root the love of God within the soil of your heart. This is his reign and rule. Come in places that have said no to you. Now let's just say this. Make my heart the garden of your love. Receptive and resilient, persevering in the word of the king and his kingdom. I'm going to bless you. Be strong, dear heart. Do not be lost. For there's good news, even if while I'm speaking, you can't see it or hear it or feel it. I proclaim to your spirit, there is good news. Even if your life is in ashes, even if everything you see doesn't make sense, if you're perplexed and confused, crushed or in despair, I say be strong, dear heart, with the spirit of God and his resurrection. Good news of the kingdom of God and the beauty of Jesus. Amen. Let's hold hands and pray the Lord's Prayer, and it will probably never be sweeter than right now. Let's pray together. Our Father.